This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. Please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu for more information. Memorial Day, which marks the beginning of the summer driving season in the U.S., saw gas prices at nearly $4 a gallon all over the country, and even higher in states such as Florida. Globally, the picture looks more worrisome. Oil prices crossed a record $135 a barrel during the weekend of May 24th, though by Tuesday prices had come down to $131. What's behind these regular flare-ups in oil prices? What are the major economic and geopolitical factors at work? How does expensive oil affect the U.S. and world markets? And what can we expect over the coming months? Knowledge at Wharton discussed these questions and more with finance professor Jeremy Siegel, author of The Future for Investors, and with Vitold Hennis, a professor of management. Jeremy and Vitold, thank you for joining Knowledge at Wharton Podcasts. As we know, oil prices jumped to a record $135 a barrel during this past weekend. Uh, do you think they're near the top now? And if not, how much do you expect them to rise over the rest of the summer? I think I would be presumptuous to, to even uh, theorize about whether we're near the top. I don't think anyone really knows. Uh, it, it's my feeling that um, even OPEC has basically lost control of the price of oil. And they're, not, they're going flat out, and I mean that they can push some more, but not easily. Um, and, uh, you know, given, given the demands, it, it obviously could go much higher, and I don't think anyone knows. I think it's a guess. What do you think? I think a, a guess and a lot of uncertainty is certainly accurate. There have been discussions recently of $200 a barrel oil. The big uncertainties are, is there more existing capacity in the OPEC nations? Can they produce it? And will any one country go offline? Um, there's a lot of uncertainty in African countries, Latin American countries, about whether they can maintain their production and expand it according to existing forecasts. We simply don't know the answer to that, and the traders are uh, trading based on that uncertainty, generating the high price of oil today. Yeah, I think uh, a lot of people are not very sure about what are the major factors, uh, economic and geopolitical, that are really driving the rise of oil. Uh, could you help explain that a little bit for our viewers? We're in a period of tight balance between existing supply and demand, which is generating a lot of uncertainty about the future path of both of those variables. I think the big uncertainties uh, that um, we have to grapple with are how much more capacity does Saudi Arabia have and how much can they bring online in the short term. We simply don't know. They don't they haven't revised their existing estimates of reserves for some years, and we simply don't know whether there's con those are conservative estimates or whether they can be expanded. And that's true in many countries throughout Africa and Latin America. We don't know what the future capacity uh, and reserves levels are. Yeah, and I, I think, uh, as I mentioned, I don't think there's an easy way to increase supply, or at least significant supply in, in the short run. I think a lot of it is, is economic. Um, it, it's hard to blame speculators because we don't see a lot of inventory increase in oil, which would be a sign that people are hoarding it uh, at this point. Um, and I think what is also the psychology is everyone wants a piece of oil because they want to protect themselves against oil price increases. So if I own some, at least I'll have something that will go up when the price of oil goes up. Well, of course, if everyone tries to do that, uh, you know, it's almost like the sky is the limit because, uh, you know, I don't think everyone can protect themselves completely, immunize themselves uh, against this oil increase. And that, that's, what's, uh, that's what the upper threat is. The other side is the demand uncertainty. How much more will demand in China and India and other countries grow? The other side of the equation, there's also a lot of unknowns. Uh, 
Right. I, I saw that uh, George Soros, the, the billionaire investor, was interviewed by one of the British papers over the weekend. And, and he said that primarily he thought that speculation was responsible and uh, for, for the rise in the price of oil. But it sounds like you don't necessarily I, I, agree. I, I think, I mean, it, there's a fine line between speculation and buying for an even more expensive future. I think, uh, I mean, I think people realize how important it is uh, to, to hold some oil producing assets in their portfolio. And if everyone thinks like that, that will go up. It's not just speculators running a train uh, moving that up. And this is a scarce a resource that the world is using more and more uh, rapidly. Um, uh, you know, peak oil is always in the air, and um, uh, I, I think uh, that's generating the increases. I think if you look, the probability that one country could go offline driving a substantial increase in price is something that people are trading on the probability of. Is that speculation or is that hedging? When Southwest Airlines hedges their future uh, oil, supp oil uh, supply, they're lauded uh, as being smart relative to the rest of the airline industry. That's not speculation, that's hedging. Interesting. Yeah, exactly. Many of the media reports seem to make a connection between the weak dollar and the rise in the price of oil. Again, could you help explain what the connection might be? It, it's more than just uh, the dollar going down. Because even if you measure it in euros, which has been one of the strongest currency, they've had a huge increase uh, recently. Um, and today we had the truckers in Britain uh, calling for a strike because the price of gasoline is going up so high there and they can't pass on the charges quite as easily as we can. And uh, it, it's, it's now a worldwide phenomenon. I mean, certainly as a year ago in dollar terms, we're up more than the rest of the world. But over the last three, four, five months, the increase has been so rapid that it's, it's affected every currency. I agree. <clears throat> Uh, what, what effect is high oil having on inflation in the U.S. stock market and the economy more broadly? Uh, you know, it, it's, uh, it's surprising that many economists felt that by now we would begin to see uh, the higher oil prices move into what we call core inflation, which is, uh, you know, those, those, uh, those basic goods and services that are not directly oil and energy, because just in manufacturing, et cetera, we haven't really seen it. Because there's been downward pressure on home prices now, there's been some downward pressure actually on physician prices and medical prices surprisingly have been very soft over the year, sort of offset the increases in oil. But with these recent increases that we've had, they've been so massive and so rapid, we haven't really had time to see how they might figure in to the indices. And that's why I think over the next uh, couple months, it's going to be really important to look at these price indices. I don't think they're going to be as good. I think there are two direct channels, or sorry, one direct and one indirect channel that are really interesting to watch. One is just the cost of transportation, uh, and that'll spill over into high, um, uh, spill into certain goods, including foods and others. Uh, and also the indirect cost. As we start, as the price of oil keeps going up, we're starting to spend more on alternative fuels and, and divert uh, efforts into renewable fuels. That's driving up the cost of agriculture. So they're both direct and indirect channels, which we can foresee in the next 12 to 24 months. And we see the substitutes for oil, particularly in natural gas, has gone up dramatically just over the last three months. After remaining stable for many years, did not go up with oil. But right. just over the last three or four months, it's gone up around 40 or 50 percent. Right. 
Another thing that many Asian countries have recently announced, uh, for example, Taiwan, Indonesia, Malaysia, is that they're going to get, going to get rid of all the, the subsidies for, for fuel. Uh, what impact do you see that having on, on both the markets and the countries themselves? I think there's a question as to whether that's credible. It was the removal of fuel subsidies that led to the downfall of Suarto in Indonesia. Whether it's really credible that they'll actually follow through on that promise in the face of popular unrest is, is a big uncertainty. So I, I take a step back and say whether that can actually happen uh, before we really analyze its impact. Although it's certainly more expensive now to maintain price lids, mm -hmm. and it might be that some of these governments that don't have money, it's, you know, to to be able to buy at the world price uh, if they are importers, and then subsidize it down to the level that uh, you know they had been in the past. So um, um, it could provoke a lot of uh, unrest, uh, even uh, if the government had wanted to keep the prices lower. Uh, turning now to the U.S. economy, uh, home prices fell in 20 U.S. metropolitan areas in March. Uh, the Case-Shiller index fell 14% compared with uh, the level a year ago. Do you see any silver lining at all in the housing market, or will the downturn continue for the foreseeable future? Well, I, the, the good news is if you didn't own a home and you were intending to buy one, uh, you're getting a potentially good deal out there. Uh, if you had been renting, for instance, and waiting for the prices uh, to go down. Also, for those people who wanted to upsize their home, you know, were planning to do it and wait it. People lost, of course, are those who bought in the last year, two years, three years at the peak, and that's what we're worried about because many of them are underwater with the threat of foreclosure, et cetera, and so on. That's been a very major uh, depressing point. So it really depends on what position. There are still lining for some people, but, but uh, certainly not for all. And, and more uh, economic indicators are scheduled to be announced uh, this week, ranging from new home sales to consumer confidence and also a few others. We actually got the consumer confidence well, today and it was not today? good. It, it was, was not a, good. I think it was another uh, like a 15 or 16 year low. Uh, yeah, this is the conference board. It comes on the last Tuesday of every month. Right. Now, we got that at 10 a.m. and um, um, uh, it was another downtick. I mean, the, the, the double whammy of the home prices and the rising price of, of oil is, is weighing on the psychology. And, um, you know, it's, it's, all the surveys show uh, near record uh, consumer dissatisfaction um, with the way the governments are holding the economy and confidence in the economy itself. So what's, based on what you said, what's your prognosis for where the economy as a whole is going and what can we expect to see? Well, I, I did some just kind of back of the envelope type of calculations, um, and uh, they were they were, it was pretty sobering. Um, at uh, we import about 12 million barrels of oil a day, um, and uh, at 130 dollars a barrel, no one knows it's going to stay there. It could go higher or lower. Um, uh, I mean, that's that's uh, about four percent of GDP. Uh, over five, almost $600 billion, and uh, that's doubled uh, over the last year. So uh, first oil was occupying 2%, now it's gone to 4 so that's like 2% can be just, if we could stay at these levels, chopped off the growth rate for a year of our, our, our GDP. And given that like productivity is up on average around two years of GDP, this whole process so far would cost a whole year's productivity gain uh, into the U.S. economy. Now, with that said, 
um, it still seems like we're muddling along above zero, um, and uh, uh, early, early, our, our quarter is two, two months over, um, and uh, most people are still saying this is going to be a positive quarter just like last one's too. Nothing great, but nothing negative the way you would think of in a recession. I think to, to end where we started a little bit, thinking about the uncertainties. You know, the, the impact so far has been uh, substantial, but we're still above zero. The uncertainties as to whether the credit crunch spills into auto loans, as was reported this morning, uh, spills into uh, other uh, highly leveraged debt, uh, whether the oil price has knock-on effects um, in food prices, such as I already mentioned, uh, whether it causes, uh, whether uh, it leads to other spillover effects and instability in Africa, instability um, uh, in Asia. Um, these are the things we can't foresee that could really cause something devastating in the coming months. So what are the, the key geopolitical risks that you are most concerned about going forward if this economic situation continues? Well, under the current circumstances, any attack which would uh, impact the, the supply of oil would have devastating consequences. Uh, an attack in the Spratly Islands, uh, an attack in the Gulf region, uh, an attack on a refinery. We just don't have the spare capacity in the short term. So we're really at risk of, of any uh, break in the supply chain. Are you chain. talking about terrorist attacks? Yes. When you're referring to that? Uh, this just this morning, I think there was a report that an attack in Nigeria uh, was uh, responsible for an uptick in the price of oil. Yeah, some of the uh, hopes about the price of oil falling up, Buffett called it a bubble recently, were on the on the back of uh, Nigeria's supply supposedly finally coming back online under Shell and others. But we can't we can't be sure that that's actually going to happen. So yes, I think those uncertainties are really paramount on the geopolitical front. Yeah, it seems like every time we say, oh. You know, the price went up because of this, this, and that. Then, then that thing disappears, and the price still goes up. So there's got to be much more forces than some of the commonly used, uh, you know, phrases and explanations for, for that. And I think deep-seated increases in demand, deep-seated hedging, real hedging uh, against, against that uncertainty, um, and a relatively fixed uh, short-term supply, I think, is just fueling, um, uh, fueling this increase. So uh, to end with a variation of the question that we usually ask, we ask uh, you most often to comment on what should be the strategy for investors going forward. This time I'd like to ask what should investors and oil consumers be doing going forward? What, what do you think? Well, you know, let, me, let me comment a bit on investors because uh, I, I follow that, that area pretty closely. I, 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 I still claim if... This is a market that would want to go up if it wasn't being hit over the head with oil uh, at ever-increasing prices because that is a big chunk as a major world importer of oil. Um, uh, if, if there can be some stability here or if we can get back down to 100 and just stay there, I think we see the market up 15% from where it is because you can just see the way it wants to get up and then oil, oil, oil. But if oil can, continues at this rate or, or continues to rise, I think it's going to be hard slugging uh, in in the market, not a panic, not a real sell or sell off, but it's going to be it's going to be tougher for for equity uh, investors in the short run. Uh, we told any final comments? No, I defer to Jeremy on the on, <laughs> on the broader macro questions. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you both for joining us today. Really appreciate your time. Thanks for having us. Thank you. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. Mm-hmm.